Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. So it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, for those of you who are here and to those who will be joining us uh, online, a warm welcome to you too. It's great to have you join us wherever you find yourself when you're watching this. In the winter, Jen and I hosted an international student uh, while he was studying English as a second language here in Canada. And uh, just over uh, a week ago, we had the student's family travel from overseas. They came to visit him because he's been away about six months now. And his, uh, his father and his grandmother and his aunt came, and uh, we had the chance to have a meal with them. And uh, we were sitting around having this meal with this family from a completely different culture, which was really fun and really exciting for us. And, and I noticed that three times during the meal... The father of this young man said to us this. He said, he was so lucky to be placed with your family. And I remember the first time he said it, I was kind of like, oh, you know, that's kind of okay. I mean, minor compliment, I think. And uh, then he said it a second time. And then later on, you know, he, he shook my hand and he grabbed it and, and kind of held on. And he said, my son was so lucky to be placed with your family. And whilst Jen and I really appreciated the compliment in that, I remember thinking after he left, you know, was it really luck that this student from a closed country ended up in our home in Whitby? Or or was it really the answer to prayers that Jen and I prayed that God would place in our home someone where we would have a chance to show the love of Christ, and to live out the kingdom of God right out in front of him and in front of his family. This is week four in our series this summer that we've been looking at on the book of Ruth. And I think, and I've heard from a number of different people, that, that you know, this has been actually quite a profound series and continues to be a profound series for a lot of people because people are, are thinking and talking through the themes that we find in the book of Ruth. Here's what we've studied thus far, and and I would really encourage you, if you've been away or if you're just kind of coming back, you know, from cottage or vacation, or if you don't normally or regularly hang out with us and and you're just kind of catching up, um, look at the sermons that are online. Go on to our website, www.c4church.com, and uh, look in the media section and look at the sermons. But in in terms of just a really brief sketch of where we've come this far, let let me just fill you in in case you've forgotten what's happened so far in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is set during the time in Israel's history called the time of the Judges. This is after the Exodus has happened and before Israel has their first king, King Saul. It's in this, in this uh, very awkward, very dark, very terrible time in Israel's history. Elimelech is the man who's first mentioned in the story of the book of Ruth. Elimelech and his wife and his two sons move out of Israel and they, they move to the land of Moab because there is a terrible famine in the land of Israel. Now, as, as you know, 21st century readers, we just kind of go, oh, really, that kind of sucks. There's a famine in the land. But, but you have to understand, you know, the historical context. 
Israel is under the covenant curses from God because God said, if you don't follow me, you will come under covenant curses. But all the days that you follow me in the land that I am giving you, you will enjoy covenant blessings. So the fact that there's a famine in the land, and it's such a terrible famine that Elimelech and his family have to move, the, the, the readers back in the day when this was written would understand very clearly that something is terribly wrong in Israel. They would have, they would have known that without a doubt. So, so they moved to the land of Moab. And in the course of time, Elimelech and Naomi's uh, two, uh, two boys married to Moabite women. And then as time goes on, Elimelech passes away and the two sons pass away, leaving these three women on their own. And this leaves these women vulnerable and destitute and alone. And for Naomi, she's living in a land that's not her homeland. It's a foreign land. She's a stranger in this place. And the two daughter-in-laws that she has inherited through marriage are not even of her own people. They are Moabite women. Things change over time back in Israel. God seems to have relented and once again food is plentiful back in Israel. Something has changed and the scene in Israel has changed and God's hand is now blessing Israel and not holding back blessing from them. And so Naomi decides that without a husband and without two sons, but just with these two daughter-in-laws, I should return back to my homeland because there's food there and at least I would be among my own people again. And she urges her two daughter-in-laws. She says, you know, your, your men are gone. My man is gone. You're Moabite women. Why don't you return back to your father's houses? Why don't you stay in your own land and I'll just go on my own? Well, one of the daughter-in-laws does that, and she goes back to her father's house. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, doesn't do that. In fact, you know, she, she clings, the scripture tells us, she clings to her mother-in-law, and she says to her, no, I will not leave you. I am bound to you. I love you. And then she, she makes this tremendous statement in chapter one of the book of Ruth, where it's really a statement of love, and it's a, a statement of loyalty, but it's also a conversion statement. It's a statement of faith, where she says things like, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separates you and I. Tremendously strong statement of love and loyalty and of faith on the part of this Moabite woman, Ruth. So the two women return home to Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi and her deceased husband now, Elimelech. And there's a hometown welcome for Naomi. People are pleasantly surprised to see her because they thought that they'd never see her again. She has returned home, and they may not have heard of all that has happened to her. And so there's this hometown welcome. People come out and they say, hey, Naomi, you're home. It's so great to see you. And she says, oh, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore. Just don't call me Naomi. See, Naomi means pleasant or delightful. And she says, I want you to call me by my new name that I've given myself, Mara, which means bitterness. She said, the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. Some stuff has happened in my life that is just terrible stuff. I've suffered such great loss. 
She says, I went away full and I've come back empty. So don't call me delightful or beautiful anymore. Just call me bitter. Well, Ruth needs to go to work. (laughs) These two women are going to starve. So she goes out to glean in the fields. And, And this is an Old Testament prescribed methodology for people who are widows or orphans or aliens or foreigners who are who are not really part of nation Israel or who find themselves in very tough circumstances in Israel. Maybe they've had to mortgage off all of their property and all of their possessions during the times of famine and starvation. And and maybe they have nothing left anymore. And the farmers are told that you're not to stop people from going out to the fields to glean. In in fact, you you go ahead and harvest your fields, but don't go all the way out to the edge of the field. Leave a little room at the edge for some people who are poor and unfortunate. And after you've harvested your whole field, and, and harvest it well, harvest it according to the technology that you have, but you know what? If you miss a little patch here or there, don't go back over it a second time. Leave that. Leave that, you know, for, for the poor people, for the, the poor and the unfortunate ones. So Ruth happens to go to the field that is owned by a guy called Boaz. And, and it also just so happens coincidentally, that Boaz, who's a business guy out doing business, shows up at the field when Ruth is there at the field. And it just so happens that he notices her. Hmm, who's the new girl in town? I don't recognize her. She's a stranger. She's an alien. Oh, is this the girl that everyone's talking about in town that came back with Naomi? Is this her daughter-in-law that lost the husband? And we left off last week with Pastor John just wonderfully showing us and telling us how Boaz acknowledged Ruth's great and strong faith, her statement of faith, and her adoption into the community of faith when he says that she now dwells under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. See, in the book of Ruth... One of the major themes that we see is the providential hand of God at work as Ruth and Naomi struggle and as they journey between calling and ultimate purpose. See, I think that's why the book is hitting a chord with a whole lot of us here at C4. We resonate with Ruth. We resonate with Naomi as we struggle to understand our purpose in light of the calling that God has issued on our lives. So how do we respond? How do you and I respond to God's providence? That's actually what we're going to look at today. As we see how first Boaz responds, and then how Naomi responds to the providential hand of God at work directly and in behind the scenes. They both serve as great examples of the ways in which we can and should respond to the providential hand of God at work in our lives over time. God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to actually make us conformable. 
God's working in the circumstances of our lives. God's working directly in our lives and in behind the scenes in our lives is never meant to make us feel comfortable. He's always at work trying to conform us, trying to shape us, trying to mold us. I love Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and verse 29. It's a well-known passage of scripture, but my Christian experience has shown me that it's a very misunderstood passage of scripture, and it's often quoted incorrectly because of one little word that's so important in it. Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29 say, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's in that first line. It's, it's the little word in. And we know that in all circumstances, God works together for good. See, a lot of people misquote this verse and misunderstand this verse, and they say, oh, God just works all circumstances for his good. So how can the death of a husband, how can the death of your two children actually be a good working by God? But that's not what Romans 8 and 28 and 29 says. It says that in the midst of circumstances, like, like let me give you the Dave Adams paraphrase of this, okay? I'm, I'm working on my own paraphrased version of the Bible. So here's my version of this verse. In the stuff of life, in the good times and in the bad. In the glorious days and in the crappy days. Regardless, God is at work. And we really need to keep that in mind as we study the book of Ruth today. Because that is, it has great application for our lives and what is God doing in the midst of all your circumstances? Verse 29 of Romans 8. He is trying to conform me, and he is trying to conform you. He is trying to mold us to become more like Jesus. As stuff happens in our lives, as circumstances come and as they go, in all of that, God is at work trying to help me become more like Jesus and trying to help you become more like Jesus. And that is one of the great themes and the great messages of the book of Ruth. So let's now get into the second half of Ruth chapter 2. All of which interestingly takes place in a single day. If God is working in all things and his will is to conform us to be like Jesus, then what can we learn from Ruth chapter 2 verses 14 to 23? That's what I want to try and answer today. That's what I want to try and draw out of this scripture today for us. So how are you and I to respond to God's providence? How are you and I to respond to the working of God in the circumstances of our everyday lives? Well, let's look at Boaz as our first example. And may I suggest to you that Boaz is an example of a person who responds with gratitude. Boaz responds with gratitude. Now, we, we must make sure that we remember the historical setting of the book of Ruth. Very, very important in order for us to understand this clearly. 
Remember I said it in the opening that the start of the book of Ruth, right back in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that this all takes place during the time or during the season when the judges ruled in Israel. It's the time when Israel is between calling and purpose. It's the time after the exodus, but before the kings. And here's the fourfold pattern that happens throughout the book of Judges. You just, if you read the book of Judges, and, and you go through all of the Judges, and, and you read all of those names, and all of the strange things that are happening in there, then, then here's the fourfold pattern that you're meant to see in the book of Judges. It, it goes something like this. Israel sins. Israel does something willfully and knowingly that goes against what God has already prescribed in his law and, and, and they, they follow after other gods or they do practices that are detestable in the eyes of the Lord or they forget God, uh, you know, as things are going good. Whatever it is, Israel sins. That's always stage one. The, the next thing that happens is God allows disaster to fall upon them, usually at the hand of foreign nations. Usually it takes the form of foreign nations coming in, going to war against Israel, and in in years gone by where Israel would have gone, this is a no-brainer, we can wipe the floor with these guys. What happens is they end up losing. And then Israel, you know, laments and, and they begin to repent and that's stage three. There's always this national repentance where they go, oh my gosh, like we, we, we did this in the eyes of God. How could we have done this to Almighty God? We're so sorry, Lord. We realize now what your law says. We realize you've used these foreign nations as an instrument to show us that we've sinned. You know, they have convicted us. So we repent. And then stage four is God sends a judge, usually to defeat the foreign nations... And to restore Israel back to a proper relationship with God, proper relationship in the land, and to enjoy economic and political and military prosperity. That pattern happens over and over and over again in the book of Judges. It's what the book of Judges is all about. And the book of Ruth is in the middle of that. It's set in the middle of that. So no doubt the famine that caused Elimelech and Naomi and their family to leave Israel years before was because the providential hand of God was against Israel because of their sin and their rebellion. But now Israel is in that last season of repentance and a restoration of blessing. Now, we don't know over all of the judges, you know, which one of the judges was in power at this time, but we know that economic prosperity has been restored. There's no longer a famine in the land, and God has restored his blessing back to his people when we, when we find Ruth and Naomi returning back to Bethlehem. How does Boaz respond to the providential hand of God? Presumably, Boaz has ridden out the cycle. He's ridden out the economic downturn, and now in the economic upturn, here is this man who is enjoying a good bumper harvest, and, and, and he's, he's a wealthy guy, it tells us, and, and he's doing really well. He responds to God's blessing with generosity. 
As Pastor John has already pointed out in earlier messages, Boaz was required by the law to provide for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger or the alien by allowing them to glean in his fields, according to Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 24. But we see Boaz going way beyond the letter of the law. Boaz goes beyond the external code associated with the law, and he shows that he's a man of faith, and that he's a man of conviction, and he even exceeds deliberately the requirements of the law by showing great generosity. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 about all of the law and the prophets? Jesus was quizzed about it. He was tested by some teachers of the law. And Jesus says, look, basically all of the law and all of the prophets are summed up this way. Love God and love people. I mean, he, he said it a little bit more detail than that. But he essentially said, look, if you want to sum up all of the law and the prophets, just love God and love people. And that's exactly what Boaz is doing. That's what Boaz is showing. So let's dive into the text and let's look at the text and see some of these examples of great generosity from Boaz. Verse 14 of Ruth chapter 2 says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, that's to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Boaz has already, we've seen from last week's message, that Boaz has already taken notice of Ruth, and he has shown kindness towards Ruth. He has treated her with dignity and with respect in an upright and a righteous way, and yet, let's not play any games. The guy's interested, okay? He's interested. And he continues to show his kindness to Ruth. Here's this woman who is this alien, this foreigner, this stranger, Remember that she's a widow and the town knows that she's a widow. She, she's not the most desirable woman in town, let's just say. But Boaz continues to show her favor. He continues to show kindness towards her. He even invites her now to the meal that is put on for his workers. You see, the gleaners didn't come to this meal. Like the boss pays for this meal. This is a company dinner. And he invites her in. And I think it's really interesting that not only does he invite her in, which is a great act of kindness and a great act, a great signal that he's putting out there going, I am interested. But notice that he even serves her himself. He prepares this for her and he gives it to her. See, again, not customary. Normally one of the servants would have done this. You know, Boaz would have had his meal served to him. He's the boss. And there would have been servants there serving the harvesters who are out there working under the hot sun. But Ruth gets invited to this meal and she gets served by the boss himself. Look at verse 15 and 16. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Now, I love Ruth because she's industrious. She doesn't linger at the meal. She isn't like, this guy might be interested in me. I should kind of linger a little bit. I should kind of play my cards right. She knows that her mother-in-law and her very survival depends on the work that she does. So as soon as the meal's over, as soon as she's had enough, 
It says that she saves some of the extra. She doesn't need it all. She saves some of it. And we're going to find out she's saving it for her mother-in-law. And then she gets right back out to work again. And, and we see the continuing generosity as Boaz goes over the top with this foreigner, with this stranger that he's definitely interested in. But he goes over the top. And he gives special instruction to his workers. He says, look, I want you to drop stocks deliberately. Okay, guys? Like, I know you guys are seasoned harvesters. I know you guys know I run a tight ship. But you know what, guys? Make it easy for her, okay? Make it easy for her. I, I want her to get a lot from today's work. So I just want you guys to accidentally, on purpose, drop the odd choice stock. So that when she's following in behind you, she's like, oh my gosh, look at this. This is good. He also says, let her glean wherever she wants. I, I love this. There were prescribed places that you could glean, and there were other places that you just didn't go. If you're a vulnerable person in that culture, you knew that you could glean out on the edges of the field. But don't you go into the good stuff. <laughs> Bad things will happen to you. And he says, let her go in amongst the good stuff. Don't embarrass her. Don't rebuke her. She doesn't have to stay at the edges. I want her to be welcomed in closer to the center. Again, read into it all that you want. Because it's meant to be read into. And then finally he says, don't publicly embarrass her. Boaz is trying to protect her. Her dignity. Her dignity as a woman. Her dignity as a vulnerable person. This vulnerable person, this stranger, this foreigner, this alien in the land, who is trying her best to make ends meet for herself and for her father-in-law, he wants to respect her dignity and to uphold it. Now, I want to hit the pause button for just 15 seconds, and I'm going to really try to keep this to 15 seconds, okay? It's not the main message of the book of Ruth, so i got to keep going. But I think it's worth all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Now, um, all, <clears throat> and I'll include all the single guys. There's so much you can learn here. If you're waiting for your Boaz, and I'm not going to quote the thing on Facebook, although the temptation is so strong. But if you're waiting for your Boaz and the guy that you are hanging out with right now doesn't respect you, doesn't protect your dignity, in public doesn't treat you like you're the best woman on the face of the planet, you drop him and you run. Because he is never going to change. He is never going to change. And as a woman of God, as a child of God, you deserve the best. Don't ever settle for anything less, okay? I could speak for hours on this, the mistakes I see young women particularly making in our day and in our culture, and you don't need to do it. You are wonderful. You are created in the image of God. You have tremendous value. You have tremendous worth. And any guy who wants to win your heart should win it honorably and protect your dignity at all cost. And you really need to hear those words today, okay? You need to hear them. But I got to get back to the text. <laughs> so what's the result of Boaz's generosity towards Ruth? Well, look at verses 17 and 18. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten at the meal. Ruth gleaned about 30 to 50 pounds, or about 15 to 20 kilograms. This will keep the women fed, well-fed, for over a week. That, that's how much she gleaned in this day's work. Ruth and Naomi's daily bread is more than supplied for. And, and Ruth even had enough left over from that worker's meal to be able to meet immediately in a, in a hot meal for her mother-in-law. The generosity of Boaz has become a life-giving blessing to Ruth and Naomi and has removed them from the immediate danger of starvation and from the vulnerability that they were exposed to. Boaz is a great picture of a person of generosity. Boaz is a great picture of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, I really believe you can be generous and not love Jesus. But you can't love Jesus and not be generous. Do you see the providential hand of God in your life? Have you seen and acknowledged God's blessing and favor in the long-term working of your life, regardless of the immediate circumstances that you find yourself in right now? Have you responded to God appropriately? Have you been and are you becoming a more generous person because of the providential hand of God in your life? Well, now we want to shift to looking at Naomi to see how to respond to God's providence. And Naomi is this great example of how to respond. And, and she encourages us that we need to respond with renewed hope. Naomi had become bitter. So God now works through Ruth. And Ruth influences Naomi to bring and to renew hope in her life. Look at verse 19a, the first part of 19. It says, her mother-in-law asked her. So after she comes back with this huge bumper crop, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. After seeing the result of just one day's gleaning, Naomi knows that these are unusual results. She knows that this is not normal. She knows that someone has been generous towards Ruth. And she knows that somebody's interested in Ruth. There's no way a day's gleaning produces enough grain to last for over a week. Naomi is beginning to feel hope seep back into her own bitter heart. She sees the blessing and she sees the provision of food and it causes her to bless the man who showed generosity to her daughter-in-law. But she's not done yet. She continues on in verse 19 and verse 20. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. 
Naomi's hope really begins to flood back and really begins to pour back in as she begins to focus now not just on the blessing, but on the blesser. She's shifting from the provision to the actual provider. See, she was excited when she saw how much food there was, and she said, oh, you know, praise God. And then when she finds out where it comes from and how, how Ruth came to get so much, she shifts from the actual material blessing to the source of the blessing. And she begins to get really excited about this. And she exclaims, the Lord bless him. Now, very interesting. The Lord bless him. See, God has been the source of her sorrow and her bitterness. But now the Lord is beginning to be the source of her joy again. Boaz has showed kindness to them. And Pastor John, again, has done a great job. Uh, this word kindness throughout the Old Testament is the Hebrew word hesed. And, and it's loving kindness, favor that is bestowed upon a person. Not really because they deserve it, but, but it's, it's the closest to the New Testament word agape. The unmerited favor of a person or the unmerited favor of God. Boaz has honored the women, but he has also honored their dead husbands because of his righteous behavior towards them, not taking advantage of them, and his generosity towards these vulnerable women. You see, Boaz is not using his wealth to win friends and influence people, especially people in high places. He's using his generosity to help out an old widow and her Moabite daughter-in-law, who's also a widow. But Naomi's not done yet. She adds, this man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now this is really the crescendo of Naomi's praise and the reason for her renewed hope. I don't even think Ruth gets it at this point. But Naomi, because she was born a Jew, because she has been a Jew, because she has been an Israelite all of her life, when she finds out that it is Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, who has done this, she explodes with new, renewed hope and with joy. And Ruth maybe is sitting like most of you. What's the big deal? Is it over yet? <laughs> no, the story's not even close to over yet. And it's a huge deal that she is one, uh, or that Boaz, sorry, is one of their kinsmen redeemers. See, in Leviticus chapter 25, in God's law, and in Deuteronomy chapter 25, God provided a very unique way for the widow and her family to get everything back that they had lost due to the death of a husband. See, a family member, a close relative, could buy back everything that had been lost or everything that had been mortgaged by the husband before he died. See, the, before he died, often what a husband would do in those days, because he couldn't work maybe anymore, because he was sick, or because it was a time of famine, he would start selling off the land and the buildings that belonged to his family in order to get cash, in order to provide for his family. And then after he's dead and the cash is gone, the wife, the widow, is left with nothing. No cash, no crops, no land, no property, no houses, no servants, nothing. 
That's why they're so vulnerable. But God provided in his law that a close family relative could come along and he had the right to buy everything back from the person who took it or it was sold to them or the mortgage holder. And ladies, don't get upset with me because it's Old Testament law. And the wife went along with the property. It's just the way it was in their culture and in their day. So Naomi says, whose field did you go to and who was so generous to you? And Ruth says, there's a guy called Boaz. And she's like, are you kidding me? Boaz was generous towards you? And she's like, I think he even kind of liked me a little bit. And she's like, Boaz took notice of you? This man is generous, and he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, is in a line. Now, the drama in the story is, next time, he's not the closest kinsman redeemer. He's actually once removed. So there's somebody else in line. But Pastor John's going to handle that. <laughs> He'll develop the love story there. But here's, here's the three requirements of a kinsman redeemer. If they wanted to act as a kinsman redeemer, as a relative who buys back, kinsman redeemer. If he wants to buy everything back, first of all, they had to be related. And we know that Boaz is related to Elimelech. Second, they had to be able, and, and we know that um, Boaz is called a mighty man of wealth. <laughs> but third, they had to be willing and what we've seen thus far in the story is he certainly seems to be interested. And he certainly seems to be willing. And as we'll see later on in the story, Boaz is willing and able to satisfy all of these conditions. But as we've been saying through this book so far, Boaz is also a great picture of Jesus all the way through this book. See, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He has to be related you know, John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, says that Jesus, you know, took on human form and became like us. He had to be willing. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And he has to be willing John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Boaz is a great type of the coming Jesus. But more about that later. What a difference a day makes. It's encouraging to see the changes in Naomi. God used Ruth's faith and her hard work and the generosity of Boaz to turn Naomi's bitterness into gratitude, her unbelief into faith, and her despair into renewed hope. And hundreds of years later, the prophet Jeremiah would write these familiar words, words that some of you even this morning need to hear again. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope is not a shallow feeling generated by optimistic fantasies. 
Hope is a sense of joyful assurance and confidence, not in circumstances, but in a person. Naomi was still a widow. She still lost two sons. She was still poor, still faced a hard life ahead, but her perspective had changed because she now has renewed hope in a person. So chapter 2 ends with Naomi encouraging Ruth to go back to the field of Boaz because she clearly sees the providential hand of God at work. Verse 23 ends this chapter. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. She's living out her vows. She's following this instruction. So what are we to learn from this section of Scripture? How do we find ourselves in this story? Let me just suggest very quickly as we close and transition, just three things. The first one is this. Look for the hand of God in your circumstances. Look for the hand of God, the providential hand of God in your circumstances. You see, what we've learned and what we are learning in the book of Ruth is this. It was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi in love. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. It was no coincidence that Ruth showed up in Boaz's field. It, uh, It wasn't fate that caused Boaz to take an interest in this foreigner. The light of God's love has finally broken through the years of Naomi's difficulties for her to see that it's the Lord. It's the loving kindness has said of God at work. The Lord is good to all who fall under the shadow of his wings. The Lord is good to you, and the Lord is good to me. Despite our circumstances, in the midst of very tough circumstances, God is still good. The second one is that there's good news for old dogs. (laughs) You've heard the saying, right? Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think Naomi teaches us otherwise. See, I think there's really great news this morning in this story for those of us, like myself, who've been around for a while. We're not kids anymore. We've experienced a lot in life, and we've experienced a lot in church. We've been around. But I think there's some great encouragement for us. You know, maybe you've been on the journey of faith for a while, and you've become discouraged Maybe if you're going to be brutally honest, maybe you've become bitter. Maybe you've been in church for a while and you've given up hope of ever seeing that person come to faith. Maybe when church leaders talk about things like revival and awakening and renewal, you know, you kind of mutter under your breath, you're right. The providential hand of God is at work, my friends. He is at work. And he can turn your discouragement, your bitterness, your disappointment, and yes, even your lack of faith back into renewed hope and joy-filled praise if you'll only trust him. If you'll only trust him. He is working in all things for the good of those who love him. He is working in all things to fulfill his purposes. And whilst you and I live with the awkwardness between calling and purpose, Almighty is at work. 
even if we can't always see it. And the final thing that I see in this is that we need to look to the ultimate kinsman redeemer, Jesus. Boaz is an example. He is a type. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And and we know that even in an audience like this this morning, and even those who are going to be online, without pushing the analogy of the story too far, there are workers, but there are also gleaners here this morning. There are those of you who sit at the edges. There are those of you who are fearful because of your vulnerability. There are those of you who know that you are foreigners, that you are aliens, even among the people of God. Look to Jesus and be welcomed into the center. Look to Jesus and know that his loving kindness is always for you and that he is never against you. He understands your weaknesses. He is related. He is able to redeem you and he is willing to redeem you even this morning. And I would encourage you If you're a seeker, if you haven't yet come to know Jesus Christ, he longs to know you. He longs to be in relationship with you. And many of you who are here this morning are workers. You have worked faithfully for God in his field. But maybe you're just feeling discouraged. Maybe you're just feeling neglected. Maybe you're just feeling like you just don't have anything to bring anymore. I would encourage you to look to Jesus and to continue to respond with generosity to what God is doing and how you would fit into that and to respond also with renewed hope in what Jesus is going to do in you and in his community. We're going to respond this morning through communion. Because it seems like such a fitting response to everything that God has presented to us this morning. Communion is this wonderful reminder that almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, sat with some of his closest friends and he said, this bread represents my body that is about to be broken for you. And in being broken for you, I I make a way back. I, I restore a relationship between God and people. Take it and eat it and remember what I did for you. And in the same way he took the cup, the grape juice in our context, and said, this is to remind you of my blood, which is about to be spilled. I mean, you know, we sang a song. Dan and the team led us in a song. it's your blood. That's what this is a a reference to. That when Jesus gave his life and he shed his blood, he did it for me and he did it for you. So, So that one day, you know, we could be fully restored and be with God in eternity and even now. And so this morning, we're going to invite you to come forward And to take the bread and to dip it into 
the juice and to remember what Jesus has done for you. And we're to respond this morning with generosity and with renewed hope. And the generosity has a very practical outworking. There's these little boxes that are on here, which we call our care fund, where we take this money and the money that's donated, we we give it to people who are like Ruth and like Naomi. People who find themselves in, in a tough situation right now, in difficult circumstances, and we freely give to them so that we can show them kindness. The kindness and the love of God and his people. So I would ask you and I would encourage you to give generously this morning in response to your kinsman redeemer. And then to have your hearts filled with hope. (laughs) Hope in what God is doing in us and through us. And as Dan and the team lead us in a couple of worship songs, let's just really worship freely. (laughs) Let's just... Let's just give Jesus our best as we worship. And whatever that means for you, singing your heart out, lifting your hands, dancing unto the Lord quietly in prayer, a fitting response to our glorious God. So Lord, you know, now we pause for just a second and we give thanks for all that you have done for us. We give you thanks and we give you praise for um, these elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we take them this morning, those of us who know and love you, with thanksgiving and with praise. And we respond to you with generosity and with renewed hope because our hope is in you. And we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to this ministry, visit our website, www.c4church.com.